Now we're in First John, um, and we're going through a series of looking at this amazing uh, piece of scripture, this amazing epistle, a letter written by the Apostle John, and it's just packed full of things. If we were to spend years looking at this, we would still be able to extract from it uh, great truths and insights. It's just so full of truth, but we're not going to be spending years at it. But I will say this, First John is a book or an epistle that you should be reading quite a lot. In fact, I would suggest you read it, um, if not daily, certainly several times a week. Okay, It's so full of truth. We're going to pick up again from verse 9, and it says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, I keep telling Agnes that I don't make mistakes. I'm never wrong. I'm always right. Uh, So this verse applies to me now. I'm just kidding. Uh, I do tell her that, but that's just in a, in a jest. Um, but that's not what this verse is saying. Okay, it's not saying, oh, uh, if you're born of God, if you're born again, if you're a Christian, you'll never sin again. He's contrasting uh, what the life that is in us with our old life, our Adamic life. Does that make sense? He's, he's talking about a principle. He's not saying, well, you'll never sin again. But he's, and a lot of Christians, a lot of uh, people in the past have taught that you can attain sinless perfection. Okay, because of this verse and other verses like it. But, you know, it's very dangerous to take that view, well, I'm now perfect, I never sin, I never make a mistake. Okay. Um, and you know we're laughing about it but some people have that approach especially in marriage am I I right? they're always right and their spouse is always wrong and I'm not going to say it's mainly the women that take that view I'm not going to say that because as we know it's not the case but in a relationship especially marriage uh, one person acts sometimes as if they never do any wrong Um, so glad that Agnes is out of the room. Come on. <laughs> Whosoever is, I'm sure you will, I'm sure you'll tell him. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. What he's saying is, is that that which you have in you, that new life in Christ, is not capable of sin. That's what he's saying. And if, as long as you walk in the Spirit, the Bible says, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So he's saying there's a life you can walk in that cannot sin. Does that make sense? You know, the, the, the Jesus lives in you the, by the Holy Ghost. Jesus actually said that if you love him, he will come and dwell in you, the Father will come and dwell in you. So there's a truth to this that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell in you if you're a Christian, if you're born again. And let's put it this way, he cannot sin. The Father cannot sin, Jesus cannot sin, and the Holy Ghost cannot sin. And if you're born of them, you will not commit sin. If you continue to walk in it. But a lot of people don't. Uh, they don't walk the walk. If that makes sense. Okay? 
But as long as you're walking the walk, you won't commit sin. And that's why we expect to see fruit in somebody. If somebody says, I'm a Christian, if they've been saved five minutes, you're not looking for a lot of fruit. They feel the joy, they feel the glory in them, they feel the presence of God, they feel the new life in them. But, you know, they, they still can mess up. They still can do things that we would say, oh, that's, you know, that's not really walking as a Christian. But that life is in them. And as long as they allow that life in them to, live, to, to, to be big in them, if you like, if they allow the, Jesus in them to live big in them, they will not commit sin. So that, that's taking care of that so we understand that. It's not saying that once you've been born again, you never ever uh, sin or fall short of the glory of God. Remember, sin means to fall short of God's glory. And like I've mentioned, it's one of my favourite uh, analogies. Uh, road rage. Amen? Some of us still have road rage to deal with. Um, and so when we have road rage, we fall short of the glory of God. But we don't like to be told that because what we want to talk about is the other person's bad driving. Amen? But we all fall short of God's glory. But we can have a life where it says that we do not commit sin. And in other words, our lifestyle has changed and we are living far more righteously, if you like. Then it says, for his seed remaineth in him. That's the key to it. Because we are now born again and the seed of God is in us, we can live lives where we are not succumbing to sin or temptation. It doesn't say we're going to be sinlessly perfect. It means that we have that life in us. The one who is sinlessly perfect lives in us. Amen. See, the Christian life is not living a set of rules and regulations um, and laws. It's allowing him within us to live his life in us, through us, and as us. Paul says... Uh, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's the key. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we allow Christ to live in us. We get out the road, in other words. And we allow him to live in us. It's, you know, a lot of times we have to remember that being a Christian is not about us, it's about Christ in us. Amen? So, that's what he's talking about. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. It's not saying you're, it's impossible for you to sin, it's saying that if you are walking in this truth of the seed of God in you, of Christ in you, it's almost impossible to sin when you're walking like that. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? It's not saying you'll never ever make a mistake or you'll never get angry or you'll never sin again. He's saying as long as you walk with that truth of Christ in you, walking in the Spirit, Paul calls it, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So keep in the Spirit, folks. In this, the children of God are manifest. And the children of the devil. 
He's contrasting. He says you, you can tell people by their fruits. You know by their fruits. You know, if you're a Christian, then you, we need to see fruit in your life. Amen? Because over a period, I'm not saying, well, I know so-and-so's a Christian and I saw them lose it. I saw them having road rage in their car or I saw them doing something they shouldn't be doing. Um, he's not talking about that one-off events. He's saying over a period of time, really, somebody's life should change if they're a Christian. Because and fruit takes time to grow. So don't be discouraged if you say, well, I'm not living how I should be living. Because it's all about fruit. And fruit doesn't grow overnight. Fruit takes time to grow. So he's saying over a period of time, really, you can tell the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. Because the children of the devil, they're doing bad stuff. And they don't stop doing bad stuff. They keep doing bad stuff. And they're probably growing the bad stuff. And start off bad and end up a whole, whole lot worse. It's all about fruit, folks. And John here is speaking about fruit. He says, it's the children of God are manifest, the children of the devil are manifest. What he's saying is, you can see in them the seed. You can see in them their spiritual parentage, those that are born of God. Their lives will be transformed. They will grow from glory to glory. You will see in them the fruit of the Spirit. You'll see kindness, you'll see gentleness, you'll see love, you'll see joy, you'll see peace, you'll see faith. You'll see in them God working in them and through them. And if they've got problems in their lives, you know, um, we've actually had quite a few people coming lately to some of our meetings who have addiction problems. And, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, well, we don't want people like that here. We just want uh, middle-class folks that, you know, respectable people but you know when you pray for revival and you want God to move and save people that's what's out there it's not just you know white middle class respectable you know all that stuff uh, and, and people who tithe they've got good jobs and they tithe and they're married and their reigns are all to one person that type of thing you know maybe what you and I would pick for church but you know what's out there is, that's not it. Amen? And you know, we should not be thinking along those lines. Um, whether it's a race thing, whether it's a class thing. You know, I mean, I, I uh, probably most people in here, I don't see many aristocrats. <laughs> Sorry, I, I mean, from, you, you understand, upper class, Lord whatever, you know, um, I know where I came from, uh, from Edinburgh, I always kid that Agnes saw she's married into the Edinburgh aristocracy, she, she married up and she's married the gentry and all this, but Agnes knows what part of Edinburgh I came from, and as I keep saying, it makes Jan Gad look like Bear's name. But that's what I'm saying, you know, um, but we might say, oh, we've got to be middle class, whatever. We would maybe want our church to be full of that. Nice, respectable, good, clean living folks. But if you want revival, it's the dregs. And all the revivals of the past, it's the dregs of society that God saves. And we might say, oh, I don't want those kind of folks here. 
But they're the ones that need the gospel. Aren't they? They're the ones that need God the greatest. And, you know, what's wonderful about that is that God's grace is demonstrated by saving the worst. I'll, I'll, I'll share a wee story. I was doing a, a radio interview uh, last week for a Christian radio station. I don't know if I shared this last week, but I'll, I'll share it again if I didn't. Uh, because my dad was George Best's agent. And, um, and so I got the job uh, of replying to all the Christians and the pastors who would write to George and say, you know, we're praying for you, George, because obviously he was well known, his addictions were well known and so on. And but people had God would put George on their hearts, so people would pray, so they would send him stuff. So he didn't have the time or really the inclination. He appreciated it. People prayed for him, he didn't appreciate that. And I came from a Christian background himself, so he appreciated that people were praying for him. I think it gave him a comfort. But it was my job to get in touch with these people. And so I would uh, correspond and say, well, you know, my dad's his agent, and I'm a Christian, I'm praying for George too. He, George, when he was sober, was a very quiet, humble guy, the probably the quietest, most humble guy I've ever known, for all his talent, and when he had a drink in him, which I didn't see much, he was a totally different person, as, as the drink does to you. But anyway, cut a long story short, because I could go on about that. One of the men that wrote to George was a guy called Ken Staller, who wrote a couple of books. He did rough background himself, I believe. And, but he led Ronnie and Reggie Craig to Christ just weeks before both of them died. Okay, so when you go to heaven and you see all these holy folks and super saints and all that, you might just bump into Ronnie and Reggie Craig. And you go, am I in the right place? Well, yes, you are, because the grace of God, if it can't reach the worst of folks, it's not really grace, is it? And that's the wonderful truth about this, is that, now these men, they died weeks before, and George Best too, and he, he, he lived quite a, a life as well, as we know. And you say, well, they don't deserve to be in heaven. They don't deserve the grace of God. I've got news for you. Nobody in here does either. And nobody ever has. It's not what we're deserving of. That's why it's called grace. So if God can't save the worst of us, because let's face it, we all probably, and if you don't, you should. We feel we're the worst, don't we? And, and, and you need to have that heart. And we know um, everyone. Now, some of us, you, some of you might be goody two shoes, and you've never done much wrong. But those of us who have lived a, a quite a wild life at times, and I, I backslid for a while. So, as one person said, I was a born again heathen when I backslid. So I know what it's like when you have really messed up in life. It's only then you appreciate His forgiveness and His grace and His mercy. So. But what he's saying here is, is that God will change you. And the life that, that you live will become manifest. And it will be, it'll, over time, it might take a while. But it will be seen that you are the children of God. And that's why I'm saying a lot of people that come to Christ, they come from that background of addiction or darkness or great sin. And it may take a while for the fruit to show up in some of their lives. But we need to be patient with these folks. 
and they will slip and fall many, many times. So if you don't have a heart that can handle that, uh, you know, but we need to do that. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. And then we get into this whole business of love. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that ye, we should love one another. It really boils down to love. Being a Christian, being a believer, is, and it's not mushy love. It's not love that ignores the righteousness of God or the severity of God or the judgment of God. But we ought to be people who walk engulfed in his love. Because it's easy to spot where your brother or your sister's doing wrong. It's easy to see the speck in their eyes, but ignore the plank in ours. Amen? So we need to walk in love. And when you see people perhaps messing up, um, then you, you want to be covering that in love and prayer and not casting up their sin before other people or the Lord. This is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And we know the story of Cain and Abel, don't we? That Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God and Cain's wasn't. So Cain took a major straw and killed his brother in anger. And then the and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteousness. Then he says, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Don't be surprised. Do not marvel if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. And what he's really saying here is this. Ultimately, you will know a true believer, a true Christian, a true son or daughter of God because they love one another. They love their brothers and sisters. Jesus said, didn't he? He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples when they see the love. When they see the love that you walk in towards your brother or sister, they'll know you're a Christian. They'll know you're a follower of Jesus. If they don't see the, the, the love, if they just see ju judgmental, critical, oh well, you're not quite our type. Like I said, you're, you're no, you're, you're no uh, good enough for our church. You, you know, you're a scally or you're a whatever it is. When they see that attitude, they'll go straight out the door. And maybe lost forever. We're all hypocrites in that church. Uh, I remember years and years ago when I was first saved and I, we had, I was in the apostolic church the Apostolic Church was a prosperous church. It wasn't, uh, again, it wasn't posh people that were in the Apostolic. It was just ordinary folks, working class folks. But they believed that God would prosper them. So, you know, there was a lot of businessmen in the Apostolic. And I just remember this time we had the convention, the New Year convention, uh, in the Glasgow Evangelical Church, the Orange Church, because... The Apostolic Church building was getting done up at the time. So it was a big New Year convention, and all these Apostolics were in, and their ways of their fur coats. I always remember that, sitting with all these fur coats, and the guys in nice suits, and it was great. It was a wonderful convention. But I, we had gone out in the afternoon, and we had witnessed in George Square. And I met this guy, what we'd call back then a tramp, but today you can't call him that, the homeless people, whatever. This homeless guy, 
And I says, well, why don't you come to the service? And we, I brought him into the service and I sat down with him. And people were walking behind him, you know that way, what's he doing here? I wept all through that service. I wept my guts out. Because I brought that guy in to hear the gospel. Um, and I'm, I'm not judging people, but some of the looks that they gave and look, looks that they gave me for bringing them in. And that always stuck with me. Because, you know, and, and, and I think it's James speaks of that, you know, if you bring in people to the service that dress well and they're sitting there with all their bling on and everything, well, you sit here, you sit. But somebody who is obviously rough, we would say, or a beggar or a tramp or whatever, well, you sit at the back. People don't want to smell you, people don't want to see you, people don't want you around them. And you know, the Bible talks about that and says that's not the way to do it. Now, again, I'm not judging the folks. I love the apostolic church and, you know, um, I still have connections there. But this is what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. If they don't see the love, we know we've passed from death unto life because we love the brothers. We love the brethren and we love the system. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now let me just say that again. That is a very sobering <laughs> sentence. He that loveth not his brother is abiding in death. We've passed from death to life. And we like to say that's our testimony. We were once in darkness, we were once dead. But we've passed from that, we got born again, we got saved. But he says, if you're not walking in love, you're abiding in death. And people will see that. They'll say, well, I don't see fruit. I don't see any difference in you. You're still the same snob. In fact, you're snobbier than ever because you're a Christian. I tell you something right now, and I don't apologize for it. I cannot stand snobby Christians. Amen? And, you know, I've, I've had that. I've had people say, oh, well... You know, those folks, they're, they're rough. You know, they should be among us all. I don't like that. At all. Uh, so anyway, I'm not going to dwell on that because I just end up ranting. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I'm going to leave it there. I'm not going to read any more in the scripture. We'll pick up verse 16 next week but you know when he says whoever hates his brother is a murderer um, what he's saying is if you despise another Christian or really I, I would say you despise anybody we don't walk in hatred and in this city and in this country we have this whole pro-de-Catholic thing going on or Rangers Celtic or unionist and nationalist. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I see a lot of hate from what I would call the other side. And I always say, if we start engaging in the hate, you can hate somebody's beliefs. You can hate somebody's, you can hate institutions. But the minute you start to hate the person, Okay, you're no longer able to reach them. Hate will not reach anybody. Amen? So it's not wrong to hate uh, a system, an organisation, 
or a, a religion that is what I call a religion of death. But the minute you hate somebody because because of the colour of their skin, because of what they believe, and that's you know people say oh there's a religious divide in Scotland between Protestantism and Catholicism. No, there's not. That's longer. There was a time, perhaps, where Protestants and Catholics would have differences over Scripture, they would debate Scripture and so on. But what's in Scotland now is not that. It's Prodies v. Catholics. And it's really all about Rangers or Celtic, let's be really honest. Or it's all about, oh, he's a Prodi, I'm a Tam, or she, oh, look at him, you know. And it's okay, as long as hatred's not in it. Nobody enjoys beating Celtic, as a Rangers fan, sorry Peter, more than I do, or more than David is, or some of you folks. But the minute it comes to hatred, so whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And and I've got to say this, many of the people that we would call brothers and sisters in Christ were once Catholic. Amen? So hating Catholics because you're a prodigy is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, so we can hate the thing that holds men in bondage, but let's not hate the people. Let's not hate individuals. You know, and as well, I, I like to, I'm, I, I'm going to be honest, I, I think you all know it anyway, I'm a unionist, I'm not a Scottish nationalist at all, and I do like to have a bash at the SNP and their beloved uh, leader. But the minute that turns into hatred too, we've missed it. We've missed God. We've missed God. When we allow hatred of a person or or people, you can hate somebody's views, you can hate somebody's uh, allegiances, but you do not hate the people. So important that we remind ourselves of that. Because I don't want the Lord to say to me, you're a murderer because you're walking in hatred. I don't want to be a murderer, I want to be somebody who uh, brings life, let life, peace, liberty, and prosperity come even to our enemies because real and true life, of course, is in Christ. So we bless our enemies, we don't curse them. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And the greatest blessing anybody could know, the greatest blessing any Celtic supporter could know is to be converted to be a follower of the true team, God's team, the mighty Glasgow Rangers, and we're praying for Peter. We're upholding him in our prayer. Amen. But we can laugh about these things because if there's, if there's any hatred of, for any, of anybody who comes through that door, we want them to leave it behind, don't we? Uh, and we, but there's no hatred here because we are the children of God, the people of God, and we walk in his love. Amen. So we'll pick it up next week. Uh, it's, it's great to be in First John and know these wonderful truths, and we'll continue to look at it until we've finished our look at this great epistle. Praise the Lord.